0: it was giving me troubles this morning so uh, welcome to Grace Church if you're visiting here with us for the first time welcome so glad that you chose to spend your Sabbath day with us here at Grace if you're unfamiliar with my face I am the youth guy um, as, as it's been I, I can't figure out I've, calling myself a pastor because I'm so silly seems um, incongruous and irresponsible so I'm the youth guy so uh, I serve and and take care and and work to shepherd our our students here the, between the ages of the grade 6th through 12th grade um, if you were here, uh, hopefully you paid attention during Delan's sermon last week, because Delon always faithfully uh, serves the church and the Lord well in his preaching. Uh, you'll know that we've been going through the, path, the, 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 uh, the book of First Peter. Um, and there's our cool little graphic there. So you, you know if you paid attention that our next passage, and this is the beginning of chapter 3, um, I want to start off by saying that the beginning of that passage begins as such. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some of them do not obey the word, and on and on. Now, I want to be very clear. We at Grace Church believe that all scripture is breathed up by God and profitable for teaching. However, my last three sermons have been on the passage of lust from the Sermon on the Mount, um, the doxology from the book of Jude, and the story of Judah and Tamar. Um, so I begged on my knees for Tom to take the brunt of that pain. I have a loving, gentle, caring wife, uh, but she's also 20 weeks pregnant, and I did not want to run the risk of finding myself on the couch to something I said in my sermon this morning. So we, he so graciously gave me another passage to preach this morning, but we will still be in 1 Peter 3. So if you haven't yet opened your Bibles to 1 Peter 3, we're going to be in verse 15 and verse 15 alone this morning. Um, so I'm going to skip ahead and talk about verse 15. This is from the same chapter in, ver- in, in, a, in chapter 3. Um, and I'm going to read it for us now. Verse 15 says this. But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So this is the passage we're at. So I wanted to look at this passage um, and talk about and pull some things out that I hope are are beneficial to us as a church, Um, but also speak kind of a little bit on our philosophy that we hear about our youth ministry here about at Grace Church, which I, as I mentioned, have the distinct privilege of thinking about and spending a lot of my time doing so we, we believe that a youth ministry that's shaped by the gospel does a good job of raising up theologically faithful believers, theologically literate believers, um, and who will come up in the next generation, who will hold the line on the biblical vision of life. Um, that's what we believe, and that's what we want. There's, we don't do, we have like our beach camp, we just got back from beach camp, there's a couple of people that I saw with their beach camp shirts on, I wore mine yesterday, it's dirty so I couldn't wear it today. Um, But we do things like beach camp, we do things like pizza parties, we do things like that. Um, But our main goal here is to preach the gospel to the next generation in hopes that they will hold the line on the biblical vision of life and the biblical worldview that we want to perpetuate here at Grace. And that's not something that we've drummed up. We, We pulled that directly from Scripture. And so ultimately we want to teach the gospel to the Lord's people. We want to teach the gospel to the Lord's church. That's our goal here, and we believe that that trickles down from this platform right here to the whole church to what we teach on Sunday mornings in Bible study and Sunday school, things like that. Um, we believe that youth ministry is not something that we just kind of, you know, uh, we do some fun stuff, and we talk about, you know, when I was growing up, it was true love waits, or I kissed dating goodbye, things like that. Um, while those can be important resources at certain points, we believe that the gospel is what is needed for the next generation. So there are three main points that I want to draw out of this passage Uh, But the main idea is this. God calls us, his church, to have our hearts shaped by Christ and by Christ alone. He also calls us to prepare our hearts for witness. And that witness should be driven by and engaged with gentleness. That is our goal here. I'm going to read that again. God calls us, his church, to have our hearts shaped by Christ and by Christ alone. He calls us to prepare our hearts for witness a witness driven by and engaged with gentleness. So, first point: our hearts must belong to Christ alone. Now, I don't think I should have to say that, but I'm going to say that our hearts must belong to Christ alone. Uh, Delon and and Gabriel, who had spoke the last few weeks, they kind of took. They have a monopoly on looking at passages of Scripture like a sandwich or a cheeseburger or and Oreo. So, I think I've run out of foods. So, I'm just gonna I'm gonna f- forego that whole thing. So, I don't have like a. Sorry if you're hungry. I don't have anything I can kind of supplant. So, we're just going to look at it as it is. Peter calls us to honor the Christ, the Lord, as holy in our hearts. That's what it says at the beginning of this verse. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. He calls us to honor Christ the Lord as holy in our hearts. So, to understand what it means to set Christ first in our hearts as holy, I think it behooves us to understand what holiness is. It behooves us to understand what holiness is. Our translation for holiness comes from the Hebrew word kadash, which means cut off or separate or set apart. Now, when I say separate or set apart, what I do not mean, I want to make sure I'm very clear on this, is that we do not have a box in our hearts that we set Christ in for the times that we need him and forsake him when we want to pick out all the other things, like you know, when I want to watch a baseball game or when I want to go to the movies. Like, That's not when Christ is set apart. That's not what I mean by his holiness is set apart. We don't set him aside and we pull him out on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday he's in his box, and if we need him we pull him out every now and again. That's not what I mean by set apart. Christ's holiness... God's holiness, His perfection, cannot be put in a box. It cannot be put in a box. It can't be contained in a box. It could not even be contained in the temple. It cannot be snuffed out. It cannot be outdone. It cannot be overstated. It cannot exist in the presence of sin. It is perfect. It is complete. It is pure. Most importantly, it is enough. God's holiness is enough. There's no box big enough to put God's holiness. And there's not enough time for me here today to dive into the extent of God's holiness. Nobody's been able to do it yet, and I'm not going to try because my sermons are typically long enough as it is. One wonderful brother who I won't call out by name said, he said, hopefully, he said, I'm praying that the Spirit's with you this morning. I pray that he helps you stick to the script. (laughs) So that's what I'm trying to do this morning. We know there's not enough time to explain the depths of Christ and God's holiness. The understanding of this doctrine of God's holiness is taught and best reinforced in a church that is faithful to the gospel and its teaching. And like I said a minute ago, that trickles down to youth ministry. There are not many things that can be assured to you in this life. There's an old adage that the only things sure in this life are louder, death, and taxes, right? Those are the two things that are sure in this life. Both not very fun things. I wish it would have been like uh, peanut butter pie and uh, Gatorade. I love both of those things. But it's not. Not together. Maybe I don't want to sound like a psychopath. Not together. Just... (laughs) just in life in general. But the death and taxes is the, the old adage. However, I can, assure, I can assure you of the truth about this world, it is wrecked and tarnished by sin and its consequences. You can throw a rock in any general direction, any cardinal direction, and it will hit evidence that this existence, this life is plagued by sin and death. It doesn't take long to look. And death and taxes are, I believe, a, a direct result of sin, especially death, but certainly taxes, at least big ones anyway. This world is a place, however, that on, a sur- on the surface offers us everything and anything we could possibly hope for. It offers us anything you want. You want to be this, be that. You can do that. You want to do this thing, you can do that thing. You want to have this, you can have it. Somebody else has it, you want to take it. Circles back to one thing, it's, it's our pride, it's ourselves. This world offers us whatever we want as long as we are serving ourselves. The prevalent narrative is live your truth, speak your truth. Whatever that means. My body, my choice. Love is love. Look out for yourself. Don't think about anyone else. Take care of yourself, first and foremost. There's so much hot air blown about how everyone is entitled to their own opinion and their own comprehension and interpretation of what truth is or what perfect perfection is. Truth has somehow become a subjective concept, unfortunately. Students, now there will be moments in this where I talk directly to you. Um, And that might seem weird, like I'm breaking the fourth wall, like a Wizard of Oz kind of situation. One of them gave me a thumbs up. So we're good. We're good to go. i got two now. That's enough. That's a quorum, I think. Um, So there's moments where I'm going to speak directly to you. If you do not value students, your relationship with Christ, and see everything in life through the vision, the lens that Christ offers, the world will step in quickly and completely and fill that void. Quickly and completely. If you do not cherish Christ as the foremost and forefront at the forefront of your heart, and you go out into the world and you look for some kind of completion, you look for some kind of fullness in life, the world will step in without any hesitation and fill that void immediately. And it won't ask permission. It won't ask for help. It doesn't need it. Now, I want to make sure that this is not because, and there are places in the world that is, but the world is not some creeping, stalking, lurking creature in the shadows that is jumping out to steal you away from your church and your family. Now, there are people that are like that, right? There there are places and there are sins that do that. However, to be honest with you, falling away from Christ, falling away from the pursuit of holiness comes to us as easily as it does breathing. That's why it's so easy to fall out of A pursuit of holiness is why it's so easy to fall into sin. It comes to us naturally. I don't have to teach you. I don't have to teach my son how to disobey me. I would be ridiculous if I sat down and said, Son, so there's going to be some things I tell you that I want you to do, and there's going to be other times that I tell you what I want you to do, but really I don't want you to do those things. I don't have to teach my son to be disobedient. He's 18 months old, and he does it like he was born with it, because he was. Falling into sin, falling out of a pursuit of holiness does not come As a surprise, we do that very naturally. It's in our nature, it is sin. John Calvin said the human heart is an idol factory, right? It's just constantly churning out idols, constantly churning out things. Our sinful nature is constantly making up things, making up, giving us excuses, giving us reasons to not pursue Christ. It's constantly doing that. It does not need any help to do that. It doesn't have to surprise you with that. It does that all by itself. There's a study that says 64%, 64% of young adults, roughly ages 22 to 30, who spent their high school years in church were involved in some form of youth ministry, leave the church in that age range, 22 to 30. So if we assume they spent their 6th through 12th grade years, that's roughly, what is that, 11, ages 11 through 18, 11 through 17, if they've spent a good portion of that time in youth ministry in church, 64% of those students in the next few years after they graduate from high school, will leave the church experiencing some sort of spiritual deconstruction. Now, there's a lot of reasons this happens, right? You hear a lot of people in the church, um, or outside of the church, I mean, talk about how they were burned by church, right? They had people that hurt them, they had people that they don't agree with, and uh, they saw, or they had friends that, right, that were burned by the church, and so they fall out of favor with the church. There's a lot of reasons this happens. And so 64%, I want to go ahead and get this on. We have about 30 students roughly like on a, on a good Sunday morning that come in on a Sunday, they're going like this. Thanks. I'm just, thank you so much. Okay. Thumbs up. If I get something wrong, give me a thumbs down or something. I'll make sure to fix it. Okay. Thank you girls. Um, we've got about 30 kids in here, uh, that are in uh, a youth ministry function from, from time to time. So 64% of that is rough of roughly 18 students, roughly. So students, for those of you that are looking at me, <laughs> I'm doing this again is my math. Okay. All right. Roughly 18 of my 30 students, Um, who I love and shares deeply will not, according to this statistic, will not be in church or associated with church in any way in five to six years. Now, I would like to think that all of our students will be involved in church. Hopefully they come back with me and go to beach camp and supervise the next group of kids that come up because some of the ones that are coming up, we're going to need extra help, okay? You know who you are. that's just, it's just the fact of the matter. Tom pointed at one of his kids. So I don't have to call him out. Um, we, it's just, it's just the fact of the matter. 64% of young adults between the ages of 22 and 30 have fallen out of church that were in involved youth ministry. Now, I, by the grace of God, and by just the sheer will of Tom Agnew, am not one of those statistics. Um, thank God, again. But there are people from our youth ministry that are not in church anymore. People that I used to argue with and fight with to try to get the, the answer right in Sunday school, right? There were always the people, like, I wanted to be the first one to get, we did Bible drill, right? You remember Bible drill? I would come to blows with them almost physically over getting to some obscure prophet passage in the middle of the Bible, and now they haven't darkened the door of a church in five years. And that hurts me, because I lived the most informative and, and formative times of my life with these people trying to pull after the same thing. However, there's this, this lie that the world sells us. Like I said, there's a lot of reasons people fall away from church, but the biggest lie that the world sells us is that our autonomy, right, our self-sufficiency, our independence, our freedom is worth it no matter what that cost is. To be your own person, to live your own life, to live your truth, it, it tells us that no matter what it costs to get that, just getting it is worth whatever you had to go through. That is garbage. It's garbage. And the reason I know it's garbage is because Christ is standing here before us offering us something immensely and infinitely better than whatever the world could have to offer. I whatever the best thing the world has to offer, I don't want it. I don't want it. Because Christ is standing before us. He's standing before all of us, offering his complete perfection and holiness. He offers us his all-sufficient grace. How many times do you see stories or you have friends or whatever that are living you know in sin or struggling with sin and they continue to go back to the well i talked about um at beach cape when one of my morning sessions talked about the story of the woman at the well and she kept coming back to the well and she was living in sin and but jesus offered her life-giving water to make her and anybody who accepts it never thirst again but we continue to go back in the same sin patterns and we continue to find ourselves thirsty we continue to find ourselves hungry for more because we're never fulfilled but christ is offering his all-sufficient grace He's offering us his perfection. He's offering us his whole holiness. He cries out and says that when we cannot stand on our own, that we should lean upon him, dependent only upon his providential love. And Christ is freedom. And in Christ is all. And the world, nothing the world can offer you, parents, students, Jordan, nothing the world can offer you can even come close to touching that. And again, that's hard because naturally, Sin comes to us like it does walking, like it does breathing. However, we need to realize that the fullness of the holiness, the fullness of the perfection of God was pleased to dwell in Christ. Not begrudgingly dwell in Christ, like Christ didn't say, hey dad, I got an idea. And the father was like, oh, that sounds all right, like whatever, we'll try it. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Christ, and Christ offers us that holiness. Paul says this in his letter to the Ephesians. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The fullness of God pleased to dwell. Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. We must have a heart that seeks to revere and honor Christ the Lord as holy. And the fact of the matter is, we don't even deserve to have that option. We deserve to be left in our squandering and our squalor. But Christ has stepped into that void and filled. And where the world says, I can offer you this until you need more, Christ says, what I have is enough. And that is worth worshiping. That's worth cherishing. So when we honor the Lord as holy, when we honor Christ as holy in our hearts, Peter then says in his next, little, in his next few words, he says, Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So how do we prepare our hearts in this matter? How do we keep our eyes on Christ when the world demands our attention and hearts so often and so ferociously? Um, put very simply, and this is maybe not you know, a unique or like mind-blowing answer, um, you're sitting in it, right? This is why Christ created his church. This is why Christ instituted his church. We must, put simply, look to the church because at the church's head is Christ. We should look to the church with Christ at its head as our source of strength and reproof. The church, as Jesus said, was built on the truth found in Matthew 16, that he is the son of the living God, right? Peter voiced this. He said, you are Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, on this, I will build my church. On this truth, I will build my church. If we look to Christ as Lord and as holy and as perfect, then building from that is, is the church and built on that truth. And that's what we should come back to for our source of strength and reproof. How do we remain faithful witnesses? Can't do it outside of the church can't, you just can't. This is how Christ, this is what Christ instituted to keep us driven, to keep us sane even, to keep us um, accountable, to keep us loved, to keep us cherished, but also to glorify and worship him. This is what Christ has instituted. Now remember, the man who voiced this truth, this truth that we should be prepared and that Christ should be honored as holy, remember that this truth is the same man who later wrote this letter. Where he says that we ought to be able to make a defense to anyone who asks for the reason for the hope that is in us, the reason we have hope is because Christ's holiness, God's holiness, has been made acceptable to us, despite our sin and wretchedness. That is why we have hope, because even at the very depths of our sin, and I, and I, I alluded to this again at beach camp. Sorry for those of you who were at beach camp; your parents didn't see this. Tom has used a metaphor that I love. We there's this common metaphor that. Um, you're talking about you're kind of in, in sin like imagine that life is this big like ship right and we're all on this ship together and you fall into sin now when you fall into sin you fall off the boat right and you're in need of assistance and Jesus stands on the boat and the common metaphor is that Jesus tosses you a life raft right which he's helped that's helping at least but the true metaphor that Tom tweaked and I don't know if you came up with this yourself or you borrowed it from somebody it doesn't matter I know it from Tom but the truth is that you fell off the boat, and then you drowned, and then you laid on the bottom of the ocean floor for however long you needed to, and then Christ jumped into the water, pulled you up out of the water, brought you back onto the ship, and breathed new life into you. That is the metaphor. That is the picture that we have. We, and apart from Christ and us and our sin, nothing. we would not have any hope in, in, in chasing after Christ's holiness. We have no life in and of ourselves. Because of our sin and wretchedness, and at camp that sometimes I felt like, unfortunately, every every time I taught on at beach camp, I was like, "You're sinful. You're losers. Uh, you don't deserve anything." That and I felt bad. I did. I really did. Uh, there's part of me that enjoys it a little bit, but um, I, I did feel bad. But the important thing to understand is, if we cannot understand the heart that truly understands the gravity of our sin. That, that heart is the only heart that is able to understand the great chasm and this unfathomable canyon that, that grace has crossed, right? Without understanding the gravity of our sin, we cannot understand the gravity of the sacrifice that Christ made for us. It's cheap. If, it, if, we're, just a, uh, if we're just bad boys and girls every now and again, and God just kind of slaps us on the hand, it's, you know that's a bummer, I don't like getting yelled at. I'm an oldest child, I don't like getting yelled at. I got pulled over, actually, the other day. <laughs> And he said, Here's, I got, I'll give you two choices. He said, I can either give you a ticket or I could fuss at you for a minute. And I said, well, I'm an oldest child, so I really don't like being a disappointment, but I'd also rather not have a ticket, so fuss at me. Um, you know, we don't like being a disappointment. We don't want to be a disappointment to God, but naturally, again, we fall into sin. But if we don't understand the gravity of our sin, we can't understand or appreciate the gravity of the grace that has saved us from that sin. It would be one thing if I just pounded the students or pounded the church today over the head with our sin and wretchedness and just said, all right, see you next Sunday, right? That's not true. Christ has stepped into that void and has offered us his grace. But not only that, he has given us his church, right? He has given, this is the institution that he has given us to live together, to push one another, to be faithful witnesses, to keep Christ in our hearts as Lord and as holy and as perfect, As Paul says in his letter to the church at Ephesus, we may with all humility and gentleness, with patience, keyword Jordan, patience, bear with one another in love, being eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. A heart that is enraptured by God's perfection and Christ's gracious sacrifice should only cry out in faithful and bold witness to this truth. A heart enraptured by God's perfection and Christ's gracious sacrifice should only cry out in faithful and bold witness to this truth. In my life, I've been the benefactor of a great, as Hebrew says, a great cloud of witnesses who have taught me, led me, made me mad, <laughs> Tom Agnew. Um, this, is, this is a true story, and I'll let you ask him for the punchline. Like within a month of the first time I met Tom, he was my youth pastor, he put me in the hospital. You, should ask him, you can ask him the punchline of that story. Thanks, man. Is that true? Sure. That's true. Um, but we're still here today, right? I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit because he, I have a mic and he doesn't. Um, but these, these people that were faithful witnesses, right, they were my parents, right, my Sunday school teachers. I was thinking about this and preparing, I, and my mind immediately was like, and I'm not going to say the last names, but Rodney and Sandra, Charlie, Barry, um, Martin, um, Jeff, uh, I can come up with, Debbie, Kenny, I can come up with a million names very very quickly with people who were faithful to their christ faithful to their lord faithful to their church and dealt with me who was a snotty-nosed kid who had a big head both figuratively and literally um, and and wanted nothing more than to see me chase after christ that is why christ instituted the church these are my parents my Sunday school teachers my camp counselors my youth pastors students older than me in the youth ministry and the list goes on and on and on what these people had in common was not that they were perfect or that they were even better Christians than me, but they were available and they were faithful. Faithful to the gospel, faithful to Christ's example, and faithful to his church. They were always prepared to tell me about what Christ's transformative love and grace had done for them. They were honest about their failings, they were honest about their sin patterns, but they were intentional in their conversations and humble. And that's why Christ created his church, so that we can do that for each other. This is why we believe in youth ministry here at Grace Church. We don't do it simply because teenagers need to be entertained. Um, That's not why we do this. We don't do this just because I'm bored and have nothing better to do. Um, I don't. This keeps me from like having a, I love Legos. So this keeps me from like wasting money on Legos. I'm too busy to do the Legos that I would like to do. Um, I don't do this just because I'm bored. I do this because I'm passionate about students and I love your students. Um, And ultimately we just as Tom did with me years and years ago, Again, we don't have this idea about youth ministry simply because Tom did youth ministry for 20 plus years and this is how he feels about it. This is what we believe Christ has instituted his church for. To bear with one another in love and to raise up a generation of believers who are theologically literate, theologically understand and are willing to toe the line when the world says, I've got something better to offer. We don't do it just because I'm bored. We don't do it because Tom didn't believe in it. We do it because we believe that the grace that Christ has extended to us has compelled us to share that with others. We do it because we believe that Christ has called his church to glorify him and to further his kingdom. Students, I know you don't believe this sometimes, but your parents all love you, and they want what's best for you. As toddlers and young kids, they heard you say things like, I want to be a football star, or I want to be an actress, or I want to be president. And they want you to chase those things, certainly. But I know every parent here fairly well, some well more than others. but I promise you that I can speak to this unequivocally. They want you first and foremost to be a man, be a woman who chases so hard after Christ that everything else seems small and meaningless in comparison. That's what they want. Do they want you to be? I, and when I was a kid, I wanted to be a cowboy, and then it was astronaut. It turns out I just really like Toy Story. <laughs> um, but what my parents wanted me for me was that I would chase after Christ. This is what your parents want for you they want you to have fun along the way yeah we've got like some fun cool parents that do like fun and cool things with you they don't they're not just like out browbeating you and waiting for you to mess up they seem like that sometimes and I'm learning that with my son um, and that's been edified and humbling and all of you who were like just wait do you have a kid you're looking at me now going, I told you they want you to be a man or a woman who's so full of adoration for God that your heart is content with nothing less than being a faithful witness to his glory Content is the word that I mean, content, because the world comes to us and says, you need this, or you need that, or you don't need this, or you don't need that person, or you a heart that chases after Christ, a heart that sees Christ's holiness, a heart that wants to glorify and, and, and live in a church, live in a membership covenant relationship with his church is content in Christ. Content. I want this for you, too. Do I love going to beach camp and wrestling with Taraku Bradley in the pool while we play keep away? Absolutely. And if he says that he beat me, he's lying. Don't let him do it. Uh, Do I love having pizza parties and movie nights down in the fellowship hall? Absolutely. Do I love coming to your musicals and your baseball games and all these things and eventually graduation parties, which I will cry at? No doubt. No doubt I do. But I don't do this because I just like those things. I do this because I want nothing more than to see you grow up to be what Christ has called you to be. A man and a woman who's beautifully made, graciously saved, and wholly enraptured and, and content by the grace of God. And dedicated to spending the rest of your lives furthering his kingdom. This is what being faithful looks like. And so why do we do this? Jesus says in 2 Peter's proclamation in Matthew 16, Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. This is why we do it. This is why we remain faithful. This is why we put Christ as foremost and holy. Because if done in in reverence and understanding what grace we have been extended, the gates of hell cannot prevail against that. So we remain faithful witnesses. We put Christ as holy in our Lord. But there's a key little phrase there at the end of that verse. He says, yet do it with gentleness and respect, which is hard sometimes. If we have a heart that is changed by the grace of Christ in view of the holiness of God, Peter says that part of being a faithful witness is being a gentle and respectful witness. Now, this coming from Peter is surprising, right? Um, he's the guy that cut off a dude's ear in the garden when they even tried to touch Jesus, right? This is a guy that is a little rougher on the edges. But he is saying that we should be gentle and respectful. So something has happened to Peter, and we should take his word for it, right? the world has always been and always will be at this same level of rebellion against christ and his followers always has been always will be right it's like oil and water oil will never mesh together with water right there's things like that vanderbilt will always be inferior to the university of tennessee just in every category new york yankees fans will always be repulsive and far from god this is just i don't make the rules i don't make the rules right these are just things, sorry, the Yankees thing's a little bit personal. They're playing the Red Sox tonight. It's, it's just one of those days. And they have our number recently, and it's, it's getting under my skin. Um, the world has always been and always will be at this level of rebellion. There's always things uh, that are true in our life, uh, like oil is separating from water. And I made jokes, but of course, there's, there's things that we butt heads on, that, that the world butts head on with the church, and that's always going to exist. Sin is always in opposition to God. There has never been a time where sin said, you know what? I think I got a little out of hand there. Let me reel it back in. I got a little carried away. Sorry, everyone. You know, um, that's, that's never happened. Um, they never, like, leave a party and say, like, oh, no, what did I do? They've, they, sin is always very aware of what it's up to, right? A heart not changed by God will always be in a place of betrayal and repulsion. If you've taken one look at the world today, this should be evident to you almost immediately. It should be evident to you almost immediately that the world... And a a heart not changed by God, a heart living in sin will always be in betrayal and repulsion from God. But let me say something to myself. Again, I'm going to point out myself first. Let me say something to myself and to us. The sinfulness and rebellion evident in the world does not give the church the right or license to be dismissive, disrespectful, impatient, prideful, and judgmental of those outside its walls. We don't have that permission. We don't have that permission. Because apart from Christ, we are in that same exact place. It may manifest itself differently. But apart from Christ, we are in that same position. Also, if you haven't heard it yet, let me tell you, God loves those people too. He doesn't love them any less than they, he loves you. He doesn't love you any more than he loves you. The person who was protesting this morning at a Planned Parenthood, fighting to keep its doors open instead of sitting here in a nice cushioned chair with a working AC, praise God. God loves that person. The, the same-sex couple who will walk into a state courthouse in the state of California this Wednesday to get a marriage license. God loves those people. The people who go to the Yankees game this afternoon and wear those hideous pinstripes and cheer for Aaron Judge. Okay, sorry, I got out of control. What sets you apart, what sets me apart is not something that we've done, but it's all what Christ has done. The moment we forget that we are sinful and in need of grace is the moment that we start to become comfortable with being judgmental and prideful in our church settings. Pride is not something that just exists outside of the church walls. And I don't think I have, that a, comes as a surprise to anyone. Sometimes in Sunday school, I can sense that a softball question is needed to kind of move discussion along, right? It's like how I ask my son a million times, I'm like, show daddy your nose, where's your nose? And then he points to his nose, and I can say, where's mommy's nose? And I do that like a thousand times a week, right? And now we've moved on to know ears and head and mouth, and when he does his mouth, he just sticks his tongue out, which is like the cutest thing in the world. But you know, I ask questions where the answer is obvious, so let's give it a shot. Why are we called to be gentle with the world, and why are we called to be patient with sinners? Why? Because we were saved by Jesus, right? Because Jesus was. Students, that was, where's Adam? Right there. What is the answer? Jesus, right? That's the answer. Now, there's sometimes I'll t- toss up a softball, and they just say, Jesus. And I'm like, actually, you're right. That's what I was looking for. Jesus was, because Jesus was. We're called to, uh, to, edit, to, to chase after The example that Jesus has said, Christ exemplified perfectly what it meant to be perfectly gentle. Although he was sinless, if there was anybody who could be prideful, if there's anybody who could be cantankerous about sin, it was Jesus. He was perfect. He was blameless. He was holy. But he always was gentle. He did it. He understood that even though he was sinless, he constantly extended a gentle understanding hand to those who were not. He did it to those who reviled him on the cross. He said, Lord, forgive them. They know not what they do. He was gentle, but make sure I want to make sure that I'm very clear. We as Christ church should 1 million percent stand against sin and the perversion of God's created order. 100 percent, thousand percent, million percent. We should 100 percent do that. But we should do so, as Peter says, with gentleness and respect. There was a time that I, 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 I mentioned that I had said to a cop just the other day when I got pulled over, said I'm an oldest child. I don't like being a disappointment. That is the name of my memoir. I'm an oldest child, I don't like being a disappointment. If I ever write a memoir, that will be the title. And there was a time when I did something, that what I did is not important, I've probably, I've actually forgotten it, but I just remember, I, as an oldest child, I also tended to tell on myself. I would run home and I said, mommy, I did this, and I, would all, I knew that a spanking was coming, or something was being taken away, or whatever. Um, and there was a time that I said, very specifically I said, um, you know, I, I, I'm okay with getting reprimanded, but please can you just not yell at me? I just didn't want to be yelled at. I didn't want to be a disappointment. It's, it's okay to edify, and as parents, and I understood that in, my, in that moment from my dad, and my dad respected my request, thank goodness. But he said, Son, this is, I understand you don't like getting yelled at, but it's important to understand why I'm teaching you this way. God, Understand, we should stand against sin, but we have to do so with gentleness and respect. Sometimes it requires a heavy hand, right? Sometimes it doesn't. Peter is calling us to be gentle and respectful. But again, as I said earlier, the man writing this letter, may I remind you, is the same man who cut off another man's ear when he dared to arrest Jesus in the garden. The church is supposed to be strong, to be true, to be faithful. What We should do it, as Peter says, as Jesus exemplified perfectly with grace, gentleness, and respect. Students, you will have friends, you will have classmates, you will have coworkers eventually who are in direct and explicit opposition to the church. Guarantee it. I'm not even worried about you coming back and saying, like, oh, that never happened to me. It's gonna happen. Okay? You will likely have people that you were in Bible studies with your freshman year of college, and by the junior year of college, they're completely out of the church. Not interested in being in Bible study, not interested in darkening the door of a church. That I could promise you. This might make you feel lonely, right? It might make you say, what did I sign up for? Why did I, you know, I, did I just get dragged to church because my parents thought it was important? And what am I signing up for? Like I might lose friends. I might, you know, have coworkers. Like my situation straight out of college, I worked at a company that was a larger company and there was people that were direct opposition to the church and did not keep that to themselves. And I was sitting there like, I'm just trying to do my job. And I was scared and I was bummed and I was lonely. And that's going to happen. But I'm begging you. Please, 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 do not budge. Do not stop warring against the desire to fall into sin. This is hard. The world will not give the church the same gentility and respect that Peter here is mentioning that we should approach sin with or sinners with. Sin is always pushing against holiness and its pursuit. Please don't budge. It's so difficult. It's so hard. But I'm I'm here to tell you that it's not worthless. That work is not worthless. The work that Christ has completed and the grace that we have as his church far supersedes anything that our sinful natures or the world could offer us. There's so many moments where you're like, this is not worth it anymore. I'm here to tell you it is. It is. Christ is worth it. Chasing after Christ is worth it. He's worth it every minute. A lot of times people are like, how do, and I talked about this again at beach camp, you know, how would, why does God make suffering so palpable and so common and so frequent? And as church, we call, a lot of people believe that when you get into Christ, like, oh, I'm not going to suffer anymore. That's not how this works. The world is in direct opposition to the church, the world is in direct opposition to Christ and his holiness and his grace. It's hard. But I'm asking you not to budge because what Christ offers is worth tenfold, a thousandfold. what the the world could offer us being a human who was naturally bit towards selfishness or toward prideful actions but trying to live a life worthy of the calling and grace of christ is not simple students now more than ever you're asked to identify yourself right take a side i was in high school now to my students eons ago i told them that i had my 10-year high school reunion coming up and they were like are you how's your scoliosis or your back like they're like where's your cane Like, okay, really? But to the parents, y'all think I'm just as baby-faced as they are. So I'm in this, like, purgatory range. It's like I have no respect. can't get no respect. I have no street cred whatsoever. Um, But even when I was in high school, again, just 10, for students, 10 years ago, but for parents, only 10 years ago, we weren't asked what our preferred pronouns were. I wasn't asked. I didn't even, the the fact that I could think about even, like, bringing a laptop to take notes on was just... joke and now they're like yeah we have our ipads and the school gives them to us like not every school but a lot of schools do we weren't asked to associate with some ideology between each class like i didn't have to wear a badge or do those kinds of things now this doesn't happen in every school but it's how the world kind of functions we want to identify ourselves so we want this independence culture we have to identify ourselves it is my prayer for our students for our church that we see the value of chasing after Christ. Our elders, who all but one has a child or children in the youth ministry, pray fervently that our students, our church, would be continually pointed back to the gospel, back to Christ. Through faithful teaching, meaningful and intentional fellowship, and a desire to live life as a family of local missionaries filled and guided by the Holy Spirit. That is our goal. That is our goal. We're not going to have a bunch of flashy, like, the day that we get like a laser light up here is the day you will never see me in here again. Not that I have any, it's just, it's just the way it is. It, it makes me feel gross. Um, now, if you come from a church that does that, that's great. That's great. Sometimes it helps, you know, people worship or be in a worshipful mood. That's just the way we are. We don't do a lot of show. That's not what we are about. And that's just the way it is. And we believe that the gospel is enough. The gospel is enough. And we pray for these students. We pray for these families that the gospel will continue to remain enough. Being a Christian as a teenager, being a Christian, period, being a teenager, period, is difficult. It has always been difficult. But Peter said, and and I should say, like, I always look at them and I just say, you guys are just weird. Why are you just, can't you just not be weird for a second? It's difficult, right? It's difficult being that age. Uh, I don't forget what that was like, even though it was 10 years ago, you know. Peter says, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. This is our aim. This is our goal here at Grace Church is is to foster a, a fellowship, a covenant of believers that believe that Christ is sufficient, to believe his grace is enough. But also believe how important it is and understand how important it is to raise up believers and create a situation where families are worshiping together they're studying the scriptures together they're learning theology together and that spurns on and furthers God's kingdom that's what we live here our mission our goal here is to preach Jesus and live as a spirit-filled family of missionaries we say it every week not just because we need to feel fill time we believe it that's our goal here at grace I want to I want to finish this is not a finish you would probably would have expected I want to finish with a quote from my favorite wizard if that's okay he says, dark and difficult times lie ahead. Soon we must all face the choice between what is right and what is easy. If you unfamiliar with who that is, that is Albus Percival Wolfric Brian Dumbledore, okay? Better known as Dumbledore, or Professor Dumbledore. I'd like to tweak it just a bit. Dark and difficult times always lie ahead. We must always face the choice between the comfort but death that sin offers and the potential ridicule but abundant grace and life that Christ offers. Church, I pray that we continue to choose Christ. I pray that we continue to push each other to choose Christ. Students, I pray for you each and every day, and I pray that Christ will remain sufficient for you and that you will see the benefit in his church. It doesn't have to be this church forever. I imagine you'll go off to college and you hopefully go to a local church there. Tom knows every college pastor from here, like south of the Mason-Dixon line, okay? So we can always find a good gospel preaching church. But I pray that Christ will remain sufficient for you and that you will see the benefit in his church and your role in bringing his kingdom to bear. This isn't just, we don't believe at this church that like the adults just do all the stuff and the messages are just for the adults. And then eventually you'll get to be an adult and you can make your own decisions and start to tune in. Christ is sufficient for all of us here at Grace. Christ is sufficient for you. He's sufficient for me. And I pray that we remember that. After, Although, i want to close with this. After saying all of that, I want to be very, very clear. I pray that the beach camps, the pizza parties, the paintball fights, and the kickball tournaments never stop either. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your word.